with you this morning. Uh, in so many ways, uh, I had an experience uh, this morning coming out of my hotel, um, and I walked outside, and the air was not moving, uh, and it was not oppressively humid, and it was beautiful. Uh, that was wonderful, being from the coast, east coast of Florida, east of Orlando, and then on the drive uh, over here to the church this morning, I experienced this movement, uh, it's sort of vertical. Uh, it went up on the road and then down on the road. I heard someone as I was walking in, they called it a hill. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was wonderful uh, having texture to the land uh, this morning. And um, now it really is uh, wonderful to be in a different place for so many things. You see things that you kind of forget uh, are real. And uh, you experience things that uh, maybe are outside the normal uh, for yourself, but you see that they're inside the normal for other people. Uh, even before we turn, and I would invite you to go ahead and turn there, turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 this morning, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, that's where we'll begin our time. Before we go to reading that, uh, one of the things that's outside of the normal that you may not notice uh, because you don't have the experience of going outside of this normal, uh, one of the things that, that Jamie gets to do this morning is he gets to sit by one of his kids and, 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 and sit under the word and, and lean over and say, did you see that, that word that was said there? Did you hear what the pastor said? Uh, just know that that's one of the things that's true of pastors. We don't get to do that very often. And it's really sweet to be able to see Jamie and his family uh, getting to do that, that this morning. What a blessing. Uh, I encourage you to encourage uh, them in that and pray for your, your pastor and those who are leading you in the midst of the congregation. Um, but this morning, um, uh, we are in Proverbs chapter 14, and uh, we are continuing this sermon series entitled The Fight for Joy. It's a series that's walking through the seven deadly follies. Some of you may know those as the seven deadly sins. Uh, and the, the desire during the course of this series together is that we would confront the pattern of sin in our lives with the wisdom and the grace of God. So we're confronting patterns of sin with wisdom and grace. I know that you began this series in the same place we did at Cross Point Coast. Uh, you, you began in, in Proverbs comparing these two houses, the house of Lady Wisdom and the house of Lady Folly. And I remember my wife coming home after that message and just saying, I, I want to I live in Lady Wisdom's house. That's a beautiful house. She was emotionally moved. And I don't want to live in Lady Folly's house, but so often we do. We have patterns of re-entering those places of folly. What we're doing during the course of this series is we're looking to Proverbs for help to give us counsel and to instruct our hearts. And as we turn into the Word together, our business is the business of trusting the Lord with all of our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledging him, and he will make our path straight. Justin Sarah at Cross Point Coast in Palm Bay, he pointed out when he was preaching to his congregation that that, that phrase, that he will make our path straight, is so important for us as we work our way through a desire to see the patterns of sin broken in our lives. The, the end result is that as we trust in the Lord is not that we would walk in straight paths, right? What will happen is he will make our paths straight. 
Friends, we're, we're broken, we're crooked. We run after folly so easily. Our business is to trust in the Lord and he will lead us as we follow him in straight paths. This morning, we're considering envy. Uh, envy is the enemy of contentment and joy. Enemy is an act of the will. It's a desire to steal that which belongs to another and leverage it for self at its heart. Envy is a thief, but the only true victim of envy's larceny is the person who envies themselves. Their own happiness is that which is stolen. We'll work our way through a number of passages this morning. That's not our typical practice. I know it's not yours as well to spend your time in so many different places, really look at these things topically. But what we'll find is the word does speak with one voice regarding envy and joy in the Lord. This morning, the center of our passage, our message is in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. I invite you to look at it with me and keep it open as we work our way through together. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And we trust you. We do trust in the Lord. We confess that trust in prayer, uh, that you would work by your word and spirit in the lives of those who have trusted in you by grace through faith, that you would work in us, that you would lead us not out of our ways of folly and into the way of wisdom, that you would lead us into your house, into your way, into the sweetness of dwelling in your presence. We ask that you would do this by uh, this time together, considering envy and a better way that you have laid out for us to walk. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a powerful passage, really. As I, as I began the sermon series at Crosspoint Coast in the introductory message, uh, one of the things I pointed out at the end of that time is that that. Folly has a, a physical, tangible effect on the body, and that wisdom is life-giving to the whole of the self. We are whole selves. We're not just spiritual beings uh, waiting for some sort of resurrection renewal. We're, we're whole persons, and this passage this morning begins by telling us that envy makes the bones Rot coming uh, out of this last year and a half. Man, I hope we're coming out of the last year and a half, maybe. Uh, I know my body is weary. I feel like I have rotten bones and rotten flesh, and I need tranquility. I need some sort of peace and rest to come to my heart, body, mind, soul. This passage will, Lord willing, lead us there and envy has a tangible ailing effect on the body of the person who is consumed by that envy it literally makes the bones rot do we trust the scriptures i don't i don't get the connection quite yet i don't understand exactly how envy makes the body hurt but i trust the scriptures i believe it's true this morning we seek the life that is found in a heart who has found rest in the provision of the Lord. 
What we're gonna do is we're going to spend a good bit of time now describing envy, okay? And we're gonna, this may be difficult as we look at envy for a good long time because what we wanna do is we wanna look at Christ, right? We wanna see our hope and a joy in him, but we have to consider seriously the, the way of our folly. I, I, I had someone come up to me when I preached uh, this on this message uh, at Cross Point downtown Orlando, and the person came up to me after the service and said, you were describing something that is true about my life since I was a child, okay? Walked in this. And what I wanna do is if that's you, this description of envy, I pray, is not a weight of guilt and shame. If you find that it resonates with you, may that only make you long for, Pastor, when are you gonna preach the gospel? Tell me the truth. Show me where joy can be found. Do not wallow in guilt and shame, but wait upon the Lord for his grace and transformation in your life. We will get there. I offer this definition to you of envy. Envy is to be jealous or to bear ill will be jealous or to bear ill will. Galatians chapter five, verse 26 says this, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Envy begins by thinking too much of ourselves so that we begin to bear ill will toward another person. The the sort of the center, the locus of, of value is in ourselves, and so all that there is in the world ought to be leveraged toward us. And so if another person has something, we begin to bear ill will to them. And you can see the effect that that would have not only upon my body, but our bodies. Our relationship, our embodied relationship together will be affected by provoking one another. Another way to put it is is envy is to begrudge one another. Again, in Matthew chapter six, verses 22 and 23, Jesus is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a good bit of time on that just a few years ago as cross point together. And it, and it, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You hear that embodied nature that Jesus is speaking of there? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The eye is bad. That could be literally translated if you have an evil eye. Now, that's not a phrase that we use very often. It's an interesting image to have an evil eye. Elsewhere, it's translated to be envious or an eye that lacks generosity toward others. Our eyes don't see rightly because all that we can see is that things aren't being leveraged for us. The eye isn't seeing rightly. Rather than being disposed toward generosity toward others, we want to see another person's prosperity and are disposed to grasp at it for ourselves. You can see that the evil eye is not only inwardly evil. This isn't just a seeing problem. It is an overflow of the heart that will quickly commit acts of evil, provoking one another, the scriptures said, as we enter into evil relationships with others and we changes who we are in the way that we are in the world from what is inside our hearts. 
What I wanna do is I wanna spend a good bit of time looking at a number of the ways that envy plays itself out in our lives. I've spent weeks on this passage, weeks on reflecting on envy, spending time with my community group, walking through this, and, and it's odd how each week I've noticed more about envy in my own life. But we'll spend just a bit of time here. Envy could be, first of all, described as envying another's good. Let me give you a couple examples. Probably the easiest one to think of is to envy another person's wealth or possessions, right? Or to envy another person's talents or another person's achievements or another person's relationships or friendships. I'm envious of the friendship that you have, especially if it's more like jealousy that I want to consume that relationship for myself. That might resonate with some of us here. At Crosspoint, we often use shared language together. And we talk about generosity as the generosity or the contribution of our time, our talent, and our treasure. So you can see that envy sees another person's time, talent, and treasure and begrudges them their good. And we seize another person's time, talent, and treasure, and rather with a heart of generosity that wants to see their time, talent, and treasure leveraged to the glory of the Lord, they want to take their time, talent, and treasure and leverage it for their own glory and their own supposed good instead of a desire to see the Lord worshipped out of a heart of generosity in the other person, they desire to consume what they see, begrudging one another, provoking one another. Honestly, it's probably one of the grossest things about envy. What the Lord has provided for the good of another, what the Lord has provided for another to leverage for his glory and their joy, the envious person wants to steal for himself. It's kind of gross if you think about the way that we are, how twisted our hearts can get. We see the good of another, but instead of calling it good, when we see the good possession of another, their time, their talent, their treasure, instead of calling it good, we disagree with the Lord and we call it evil. We call it evil because it belongs to them instead of us. If I could consume it, then it would be good. And so we devise envious schemes so that we might take possession for ourselves. And then there's envy. It takes the form of envying another person's generosity. Now, this is a really curious one. I'm curious to know if any of you resonate with this. Jesus describes a situation in a parable in which, in, in Matthew chapter 20, a, a master in a vineyard has laborers who work various amounts of time during the course of that day. Some work the whole day, some come in halfway through the day, and some come in in just the last hour of the day. But the master of the vineyard pays all those who labored for him that day a generous but equal wage. Though only a few of the laborers work the full day, they all get the full day's amount of pay. And the people who worked the whole day got the full day's wage, see that the people at the end of the day who worked only an hour of the day got the full day's wage and they become envious. Their evil eye causes them to begrudge and they are provoked. But what's interesting is they aren't just provoked at the people who worked just the end of the day. 
they're also provoked toward the master. And the master says this, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you hear it? Do you begrudge, are you envious of my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last, Jesus says. The master has provided according to his promise. In justice and generosity, he's paid all a full day's wage. Instead of tranquility and peace that gives life to the body, he's the, the people who work the full day, who are envious, who have an evil eye and begrudge, they see the master's generosity and they begrudge them with an evil eye. He, now, could he not turn and rejoice? Could the person who worked the full day not look at the master and say, man, what a master. Check out my master, my master. Yeah, I just got paid what was due me, but my master is a generous master. Could he not have taken joy in the generosity of the master? But instead of taking joy in the generosity of the matter with an evil eye and a begrudging spirit, he becomes hard-hearted and envies the master's generosity. Now, what's interesting is envy is very connected to greed. One might even say that envy is often born of greed. This is true of a lot of the seven deadly sins. They're very connected to one another. They all are born out of a heart that does not trust in the Lord. It's the heart of folly. For instance, gluttony and lust. They're connected. They're connected at the level of desire. Envy can envy another's generosity. Envy can also be seen as the fruit of laziness. Imagine going back to that story of the laborers who worked all day. That was day one. And they go home, and they're all angry at the master because he was generous, right? And they scheme together. The envious people, they get together, and all being provoked, they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to show up tomorrow in the last hour. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they scheme, they come up with a plan, and they show up the next day somewhere around 4 o'clock, and they clock out at 5, and they go over to receive their day's wage, Right? After hearing that, they show up the next day, but the master gives them what is right and just, and he gives them their hour's wage. Oh, are they angry? You'd be angry too. You schemed all night. You worked on that, and you got what was just. This is the wickedness of our hearts. It's a, it's a lazy heart that would rather scheme, would rather provoke, would rather begrudge than rejoice in generosity. You can see how this lazy person might become envious now of the people who work the full day's labor and receive the full day's wage. Pastor James Stalker from a few centuries ago, I found him super helpful in working my way through envy. He says this, instead of living laborious days, they have expected fortune to drop into their lap. And instead of cultivating their minds by burning the midnight oil, they have calculated on winning the prize by genius and cleverness alone. The lazy person is often 
the most scheming, probably the most intelligent if they would only leverage it for something good. Devious, genius, and clever. Envy can be the envy of laziness that's born of our own laziness and our own cleverness, thinking that we could outwit the way of the Lord. Envy can also be to envy another disciple. Now, this is one of the more insidious ways that envy manifests itself because it describes, uh, most of what we've described is the description of envy of worldly wealth, but now we begin to describe the envy of spiritual things. Now, how does that work? Consider a few examples. To envy another's fruitful gospel ministry. Consider envying another's progress as a disciple. Have you ever done that? You ever shown up a community group and you just see this person, they're alive, and they seem vibrant, and they, you see transformation, and you just feel dead, and you're angry about it. You envy. Envy of another's role in the church. I ought to be in that office. I ought to be in that position. And you're unable to rejoice in what the Lord is doing in the life of another, you begrudge them, or to envy another's spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit got it wrong. He should have given it to you. The Corinthians, well, there's blasphemy just waiting there, isn't there? Envying another's spiritual gifts doesn't just mean otherworldly gifts or something. The spiritual gifts are the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to his church for their joy, their flourishing, and the Lord's glory. And we say, no, you got it wrong. I ought to have that. You see, the problem of envying another's spiritual gifts is all of the fruit that, uh, uh, that is in the believer's life is the fruit of the life in Christ. It's the Lord's generosity. All that we have, everything that we have in our bodies, in our spirit, in our life, in our hope, all that we have, we have in Christ. All that has been given has been given by, through, and to Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss that. If it's given by him, and it's given through him, and it's given to his glory, and we envy spiritual things. What are we gonna do? You got it wrong, you did it the wrong way, and it's not leveraged for my glory, my esteem in the midst of the congregation. You see, the cause of the gifts of God is not our glory and our advancement. The cause of the spiritual gift, the purpose for which they were given, is the glory of the Lord and the joy of his church. What we have, whatever great joy that we have in this life is given that we might leverage for the glory of Christ and his gospel. Romans 11.36 illustrates this well. Romans 11.36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Listen to the next words. To him be glory forever. Amen. Like, that's it. No more conversation. It's to him that he might be glorified. James Stalker, this hit me. He says this, 
We cannot love the good cause very passionately if we do not welcome every talent consecrated to his service. Reflect on that for a moment. We cannot love the good cause very passionately if we do not welcome every talent, whether the talent is given to us or to another, we don't welcome every talent consecrated to his service. God, you have put that person in that office that they might serve the Lord and that you might be glorified in the midst of the congregation. Praise be to God. What if we could say that? Let us consider that envy may also be corporate envy, not just something that is individual, that we can begin to envy what the Lord has made fruitful even in another church. And the church can begin to begrudge together, corporately, and that can be infectious to the body, to our life together. Most of what we've considered has been the envy of what is otherwise generally positive, good things, good time, good talent, good treasure, good gifts in the life of others. It's a desire to consume the good that the Lord has provided to another to leverage for his glory, and we want it for ourselves. But envy can also to envy the profit of an evildoer. This is a bit of a turn. I found it interesting. There's a, there's a disastrous strain of envy. It's envy that turns one to want to emulate the evil out there that we perceive the way that the evil person seems to prosper. We say, I want some of that prosperity, even if it has to come through a devious way. Now, what I found interesting is as I looked at the Proverbs, I found that the majority of the instances of the use of the word envy was in this context, not envying what is good and wanting it for ourselves, but envying the prosperity of the evil doer. I would offer just a few passages from Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 31. Do not envy, listen, a man of violence. Who envies a man of violence? What in the world? Well, this is in the Proverbs, I better listen. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Ah, there it is. There's a deviousness. We want to be clever like the violent person's schemes reveal, and we want to be clever like them and obtain the clever, devious ways that the evil, violent person has obtained for themselves. But the Lord says that the fruit of violence is not prosperity. It is to not be in his confidence. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 12. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of righteousness bears fruit. To covet the spoil of evildoers. Friends, if you find yourself beginning to covet the spoil of evildoers, your heart is becoming inclined to the way of the evildoer. Do you hear that? When you see the evildoer prosper and you say, I want what they have, you will end up wanting their way. The envious person sees worldly spoils and fails to see the inner fruit of righteousness 
and fails to see the eternal reward that's found in following after the Lord and his way. Proverbs chapter 24, verses one and two. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence. There's that cleverness. And their lips talk of trouble. The envious person desires to become an associate with evil. They talk up their plans. They whip up the root of envy and greed, and it becomes violent schemes. And then Proverbs chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. What a kind and generous warning of the Lord. The counsel of the Lord is not to be persuaded by evildoers. Don't be persuaded by their perceived prosperity. They're gonna go bankrupt They will be snuffed out. They have no future. The Lord will put an end to it. The way of the evildoer is another way, but the way of the Lord is forever. One likely doesn't desire evil. You're not walking around saying, man, I just love evil things, evil ways, but you probably have desired the prosperity of evil schemes. And that will lead you on another path. Envy doesn't wait on the Lord. Envy grasps via another way. Here's the question. Have you ever looked at the way of the righteous and desired not just their way, but the fruit of righteousness so that you would be persuaded to see the beauty of the way of the righteous, to want to be in the company of the righteous, to stand with those who stand with Christ. What we find in our passage this morning in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, is that envy rots the bones, rots the bones. Tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. It has a real physical effect upon a person. What I want you to see this morning is that envy isn't just bad. Envy isn't just something you shouldn't do, so don't do it. You see, that would just be laying on you a law that you're not gonna be able to keep. Envy is displeasure. It's displeasure by definition, by nature. Envy is is not to have a happy feeling. It's a disposition or experience of displeasure in the presence of another. One commentator describes envy as grief. Envy is literally to be grieved at the success and possessions of another. James Stalker says envy is its own punishment. Envy is to live a grieved life. It's to, conversely, to take pleasure at destruction and loss in the life of another. Envy doesn't take any other considerations. Envy's only consideration is whether or not I have what another has. And friends, that will rot your bones to the core because you're living a life of grief. 
that has a physical effect upon the body to live a life that is constantly in a state of displeasure. Everywhere you look, all good things that God has given grieve you. Is that me? Is that you? I would offer just a brief clarification. It is not always envy to see another's advancement and be sorrowful. It is possible to see what would be a perceived advancement of another, but to see that it will lead to their own destruction or for danger for the community. That's not automatically envy. Do you see why wisdom is needed? Do you see why the wisdom, by an examination by the Holy Spirit of our God, of our own hearts, is needed to discern what is taking place when we see prosperity in another and we find ourselves not pleased? God, show me wisdom here. Why am I not pleased at this person's advancement? Envy finds its evil in its self-reference. Envy references the self and says the self and and consumption by the self is how I discover that something is good. And it's not good until it it references the self. Or another way to put it is envy is self-reverential, wants to glorify the self by the consumption of all things. Pleasure is only taken when the self is advanced, which is interesting because I got to thinking, what is the opposite of envy? Isn't the opposite of envy sacrificial love? Sacrificial love. Envy will find its true cure in heaven's joy. Consider Christ in the church, a husband and a wife who take pleasure in the joy of one another. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, when it says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husband, you want to take care of your own body? You want to love your body? Love your wife. Sacrifice your body for your spouse, and your joy is there. Sacrificial love brings life to the body. Envy is the opposite of sacrificial love. Love seeks the good of another, even at personal cost, and yet it still counts it joy, but envy seeks to steal and rob from another for self-advancement. This is why the gospel is the cure for envy. God has no cause for envy. Now we know that Jesus in his incarnation faced trials of every kind. He understands our struggle with these things. He was faced with, I was thinking, like what about when he was a kid? And his parents gave him an an instruction. And he saw all his brothers and sisters running around and they were doing whatever they want because they knew they could just lie about it. And Jesus is walking around saying, I don't get to do whatever I want (laughs) because I'm not gonna lie about it later on. Did he ever have an opportunity to envy the evil of his brothers and sisters and their way? What about when he was traveling along the way with his disciples and he saw people and they were working in their craftsmen's shops and he knew that he could have been a carpenter. He knew he could have been. He has the skills and the talent. Joseph taught him well. 
And as he's making his way through the countryside with his eyes set on Jerusalem and what he knows is there, did he not have an opportunity along the way to say, I could have just settled down. I could be like all of these other people, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, that isn't something that happened on three hours on Good Friday. That was something that Jesus did over years. He endured what was before him for the joy that was before him. You see, we are freed from envy by a greater joy that is absolutely provided for us by what Jesus says, that his joy, his food, his sustenance was to be about the way of the Father. James Stalker, he suggests two ways in which we can combat envy. The first way is to love beauty. This means that one is now free One is now free to love excellence and reward even when it comes to another person. Even better yet, love excellence as the the fruit of the image of God in the presence of another human being. The spirit of God at work in mankind. To love excellence is to love God. God, when, when I see that person prosper and I see your image in them, I see that you are good. Man, you're excellent. Your gifts are abundant. Your creative work in humanity is astounding. There's a German proverb that goes like this. I love a thing that's fine, even when it's not mine. And though it never mine can be, yet it delights and gladdens me. Have you ever looked at something that you could never possess? It will never, it's called the Olympics, friends, all right? I haven't met all of you here, but you're never going to have that gold, and you're never going to have the talent that got them that gold. And yet you can watch it and say, my God, your creativity in humanity is astounding. How did you make bodies that can do that? You'll never possess it, but here's what happens. You are able to take possession of what you will never have by appreciation, worship, and joy. And it's yours. It's yours to worship the Lord and his excellence and his creativity in his image in the presence of humanity in his gifts to his church that you get to take possession of it through worship. And friends, I would suggest to you that this is a cure for all of the folly that the only things that we truly ever possess, even if it's technically in my bank account, my house or my garage, the only things that we truly possess are the things that we leverage for worship. Those are the things that are ours. And friends, here's what's beautiful. Those are ours forever because they're the Lord's. They belong to him. They belong to his worship, to his glory. May we delight without ownership, but by possession of joy and worship. Here's what happens. You have joy everywhere. Access to unlimited joy when you look around and you see the gifts of the Lord at work in his people. Unlimited opportunities for joy. The secondly, count your mercies. Rather than comparing yourself to the advancement of others, we ought to compare ourselves to those who have suffered loss. This is what our Savior did for us. 
that he, enjoying all the glories of heaven, he counted the joy of heaven, and he looked at us. And he saw us in our depravity, in our lostness, in our weakness, in our sin, and he condescended. Friends, when we count our mercies, we ought not to count our glory, but we ought to condescend, that we ought to come down. This is the way of our Lord, and it's good. It is his grace upon us that he not only dwelt among us, but he suffered in our place. It's finished. He did it. We can't fill that up. We can't replace that. But we get to see that it's good. And it is a better way for the soul that if it was joy for Jesus, would it not be joy for the way of his people? I would ask you, if you want another man's lot, I would invite you to do this. You want another man's light? Here's what we're gonna do. Is we're going to persuade all of humanity, what is there, six, seven, seven and a half billion people, and every single person is going to take their name, they're gonna write it down on a piece of paper, all right? You can do that for me real quick. Every single person on all of humanity, and then we're going to take a big hat and we're gonna hand it around city after city across the entire globe. And each one of us are going to put our name in that hat. And after it's made its way around the entire globe, because you wanted another person's lot, right? You wanted the way of another human being in this world through envy. And then after it makes its way all the way around, we're each going to reach into the hat and we're gonna pull out just one name. And that's the lot that you get to receive. Who are you hoping for? I'm, I'm Jeff Bezos. I mean, obviously, right? He already lives like, or at least he works a lot in, in my town on the Space Coast, you know? What are you gonna get? Friends, if you live right here, count your mercies. But here's, there's something twisted in there. Right there, you can immediately say, whew, I lucked out, I pulled a good one. And just stay there. But the way of the Lord is better than that, isn't it? What if we saw the way of the Lord and we rejoiced in his grace to condescend and we came alongside of names that we know are in that hat, that when they count their mercy, they have much to count, but they also have great need. Friends, we, what should we do when we envy? Let envy direct us to the reality of longing. If we envy, we have unfulfilled longing. But friends, that longing is only fulfilled by the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross of Christ, dying in our place, receiving the just punishment, not only of our guilt, but our shame. Envy is shameful, but he took that shame and it was outed as shame when he was hung up on the cross and he took it in our place and he gives us the joy of his way, the gift of his wisdom, full forgiveness and grace and a new way to walk. He gives us access to worship, something we did not have access to before faith in Christ and his grace. He gives us access to worship and joy. I would ask you, when you find yourself in an envious position, ask yourself, what have I not enjoyed about the good gifts of God in the presence of the congregation? What, have, what part of your kingdom do I long to still come? What fulfillment will I have in heaven when heaven comes to earth? And what joy do I anticipate when I see your face? 
As we draw to a close, I would draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Friends, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and I'm looking around for something else. Let us be persuaded by the grace of our God. Let us be persuaded unto repentance by the kindness and the grace and the mercy of our Lord. Let us remember that our greatest possession is the result of a gift, not scheming. I would close simply saying this. Brothers and sisters, you will never out-scheme the grace and generosity of our God. May we lay down the scheming of our envy and trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight.